Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is Taylor, your host, and you are in for quite a treat today because the guest today is just fantastic. I could not speak more highly of her and the work that she is doing, and I am so thrilled to share her with all of you lovely listeners. So let's honestly get straight to it because I love her. So today's guest is... and. Forgive me if my pronunciation is not <laughs> the best. I have said her name repeatedly, um, and so it might not sound perfect, but I'm trying. Uh, so our guest is Prisca Dorcas Morica Rodriguez. And I hope I said that all right. Um, She was born in Nicaragua, but she calls Nashville, Tennessee home. She got her Master's of Divinity from Vanderbilt University. And the bulk of her work is around making the theories and heavy material that is often only taught in racist and classist institutions known as academia accessible. To date, she's published over 200 articles online and participated in the Young Adult Anthology, Nevertheless we persisted. Recently, she also participated in an anthology edited um, by Linda Lopez titled The Fearless Rise and Powerful Resonance of Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. And y'all actually might already be familiar with Prisca. Uh, If you follow Latina Rebels on Instagram, which she started in 2013, uh, you might be familiar with some of her, her work because I've followed Latina Rebels for so long now and love everything they post there. And currently it's got over a hundred, over 300,000 organic followers online. Uh, she's been in HuffPost. Um, she's been invited to the White House. She is so unapologetic. She's angry and she is uncompromising and protecting and uncompromising about protecting and upholding the stories of Latinx communities. She just really makes me feel even more emboldened in my stuff. And so I just feel such a kindred spirit with her and have loved getting to know her and feel so, so very special to have a friendship with her. So with all of that said, let's get into it, y'all. She published a book. Holy moly. She published a book and it is amazing for brown girls with sharp edges and tender hearts. I mean, that's... That's my book. That's that's for me. That's my mirror. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about it. All right. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on here. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you're doing like a ton of work to promote the book and everything. Have you done a podcast yet? Is this the first podcast where you're talking about it? No, I've done a few podcasts, that, but okay. they were unofficial. I, I mean, I've been on podcasts a lot, but I, yeah. this is my first official one about the book, for sure. Oh. Everything has been like, I'm not supposed to talk about it, but somehow we ended up talking about it. Yeah. Ooh, I like this. Okay. I feel special now. <laughs> <laughs> the turnaround was so quick when you replied. I was like, oh shit. Okay. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta get prepared. <laughs> Yes. Well, it's been overdue for you to come on the podcast. Um, Can you share a little bit first of kind of like how we've known each other? I mean, Instagram, but kind of where people can find you. You've got two amazing pages on Instagram. Can you share a little bit about them? 
Okay, where do I start? I guess we met each other. We started talking because I messaged you when mm-hmm. all the cancel stuff happened. Yeah. Because I was really triggered because I do a lot of the similar work that you do of educating people, not so much on my platform, my personal one, mm-hmm. but I do a lot of that work. And I'm also somebody who doesn't believe in the performative act of like self erasure of all the mistakes that we've made. Mm-hmm. In fact, so much of my work is talking about how fucked up I was for so many years because I internalized so much shitty stuff. Yeah. So I reached out to you because I was really triggered because Bachelor Nation is like my escapism. Mm -hmm. And suddenly 2020 was like this year where the whites decided to weaponize cancel culture. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Bachelor Nation has really jumped on the deep end. Even the progressive Bachelor Nation jumped on that bandwagon when you were getting canceled. And it was just really triggering for me. It was really sad. And I just reached out. I was like, hi. And I just messaged you because usually that's how I'm courageous to do something like that. (laughs) And was just like, this sucks. You're amazing. Fuck them all. (laughs) And we've been chatting since on and off. But um, yeah, I run run Latina Rebels uh, and my own page, Prisca Lorcas. And Mm -hmm. I have like a low-key bachelor podcast that I don't tell people about. So I'm not going to mention it. (laughs) Tell people, tell them about it. Tell them about it. <laughs> I think it's too radical for Bachelor Nation sometimes, but it's called Bachelor Cheese And we just talk about all the ways that um, this franchise is like racist, fatphobic, classist, sexist, all the mm-hmm. all the things you can imagine. We just like break it down and make an intentional move to highlight the people of color mm-hmm. and be critical of all the ways that editing villainizes them yeah because I don't think that conversation is had I remember when you got vilified mm-hmm. it was just kind of like well what what yeah. was the the phrase that everyone used like emotional intelligence and it was just like yeah. dismissed Which was- as like a stupid comment that you made where I was like there was like a lot of depth to that and nobody had the analysis for it yeah it's like I was saying the same thing literally everybody else was saying about like maturity but because yeah. I used emotional intelligence that had the word intelligence in it I was now all of a sudden being condescending and rude you? and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so very yeah. easily, easily uh, villainized. And then emotional intelligence was just like weaponized against me for years. Like yeah. people would literally harass me in my DMs about emotional intelligence. And I was just like, I was just talking like, yeah. And that word is a real well. word. Like, but <laughs> none of this is wrong. <laughs> I was like, I didn't like make this up. I said it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I try to do on our podcast is just try to have like, that the analysis and try to hold the people of color with grace Mm -hmm. a lot of our listeners I think because we're the only podcast that really does that full force in a lot of significant ways a lot of we fight with our listeners yeah and and then they'll be like oh okay yeah I think I get what you're saying (laughs) yeah because this franchise is so fucking good at like tricking you Mm -hmm. into participating in your own oppression and the oppression of people that look like you Mm -hmm. if you're a BPOC or BWOC watcher or consumer so it's just trying to cancel out all the shit that this franchise normalizes Mm -hmm. that's what I do 
Yeah. I love that you do it. It's so needed. And I mean, I hear you. It's scary because like the listeners and the fan base, like typically are not down with that shit. Clearly. I mean, I try to do that on my platform and consistently folks are not down with that shit. (laughs) There are people who are, but the ones that are not are way louder and it just creates so much mess and stress that you have to deal with. Um, So hopefully this is a... Yeah. 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 So hopefully people listening to this will be able to uh, also listen to your podcast with some open mind, open ears, open heart. Like I always encourage folks to listen to when they open this podcast, because a lot of this is all meant to make you feel uncomfortable. Um, But that's like for you to sit with, not to just project out and blame onto the messengers of of what we're breaking down essentially. Yeah. 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 Or expect perfection from us because like, how dare we say what we say and not have everything else figured out in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, I just, first of all, major, major congrats on doing this book. I mean, I think about writing a book sometimes and I'm just like, oh, it's so much. I can't do that yet. I'm not there. But like, you really fucking did it. I can't believe it either, to be honest. If COVID hadn't happened, I think it would have been harder. I think because COVID happened right when I was starting a draft, Mm -hmm. I just was like, when we didn't go out, like March 2020 to, I think, April, late April of 2021, we went out for the first Mm -hmm. time. Like no groceries, no even putting gas in our cars like we had services for everything and which is a huge privilege but Mm -hmm. we just stayed home because my husband got let go and so we lost our health insurance and we were like we -hmm. can't afford to get COVID yeah and we have the ability we both work from home Mm -hmm. so we were like just buckle down and work yeah and you did you worked it out (laughs) I can't believe it (laughs) you have all you have a whole ass book it's a whole ass book um what did you think of it? I can't wait to hear all your thoughts because I, you have a really good analysis and sometimes you think of things that I wouldn't and I'm in bubbles sometimes. So mm. I'm like, yeah, that's relatable. I'm in bubbles sometimes too. <laughs> um, no, I mean, the parts that I was able to read before we had time to like record this today were amazing. I felt so seen and felt so like heard. And I was also like the way that you were telling your own story about like the ways that you grew up was just so intriguing. And I felt like I was getting to really actually know you and get to know a different experience um, that in so many ways was still relatable um, to kind of like the overarching systems that I experience. Um, And it was just done so beautifully and like unapologetically, which I also loved because I was just like, oh yeah, she's naming this shit. Like, yes. (laughs) Say it, say it. (laughs) I was just, I I mean, and I think it was a leap because I do oscillate between English and Spanish sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it is centered around my narrative. But then I think like, nobody gives a fuck. Like William Shakespeare is considered a universal appeal, Mm -hmm. but nobody cares that this is like a white man (laughs) who was writing about like his experiences and limited knowledge he had or whatever, but like white people get to be universal. And so I was like, this isn't made for a universal audience, but it's Mm -hmm. made for black indigenous and women of color. And I'm going to dare to position myself as universal in that narrative because white people yeah. do it all the time I read Judy Bloom like it was my life and it same was <laughs> same 
Yeah. So let's like normalize other stories. We be like, oh my God, I relate. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Judy, fucking Judy Bloom. <laughs> Taking me back. Yeah. Or Babysitter's Club. I thought I was like one of them. I was like, I've never babysat a kid in my life. Nobody would trust me to take anyone as a kid. But like, I was like, I'm Stacy. I was not. I'm <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. Some are white people, but God forbid that that happens the other way around, that white people consume us and they're like, oh, I see humanity in that. And I also mm-hmm. feel connected to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you heard any feedback from like white people that have read it? Yeah, but it's reviewers and publishing um, lots itself as like progressive, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So it's been great reviews from like older white ladies. um, But (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I'm more curious what Mm -hmm. our people are going to say. I wanted to, at the beginning, I told my editor, I was like, can we just like ban white people from reviewing the book? And she was like, well... There are only white people in <laughs> reviewing. So <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, that's how that works. So <laughs> I think I just I... have to <laughs> power through the white reviews right now until it becomes like available to the people I actually wanted to read. Yeah, I fucking love that. And I'm sure there's some person listening being like, wait, but is that racist that she wants to ban white people from being able to review it? It's like, no, you're just not being centered for once. It's okay. It's okay for something to not include you. And that does not mean it's racist. Yeah, yeah, God, yeah. I can't wait for those replies. That'll be fun. (laughs) Do not send those replies her way. This is for you to sit with and process it. Come on now. Um, There were so many. So I have like several um, pieces that I kind of pulled out from the book that um, I want to kind of go over because I think there's so many parts, like so many chapters, obviously all of them, um, that have just great stories, great material, um, great insights for folks to take away from. Um, And the one I was kind of thinking we can maybe start with, because I don't think this gets talked a lot, uh, talked about a lot, is the voluntourism. Yeah. And (laughs) I was just like, I mean, I've had several friends that have, you know, been involved in this. And I think it wasn't until, um, you know, 2020 happened that they, the people I know personally actually started like reflecting on the impacts of that and what that actually was doing for them. Um, but you sharing like your experience with it was so powerful. Um, can you talk a little bit about that piece and about your experience with voluntourism and and why you call it voluntourism. (laughs) So voluntourism combines the word tourism with volunteering intentionally. I don't Mm -hmm. know the origins of the word. I just kind of started hearing it everywhere, but it's, it's unskilled folks, usually white Americans who Mm -hmm. go to other countries to provide what they think is labor that is necessary or labor that they can't, the people in these countries can't do themselves which they can you just have to send money mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. there's a reason like um impoverished countries are the way that they are yeah um so, yeah stop taking their resources and yeah. sending them guns and you know instead fucking supply them with money and funding yeah 
yeah funding not like this is the this is what I want you like here I'll mo- I'll make a well over here you didn't ask for mm-hmm. it but I did it <laughs> yeah yeah I planted, a bu- I planted a bunch of trees around your neighborhood you didn't ask for it but we did it and we're taking selfies with all of y'all now yeah so I grew up um seeing that I grew up in Nicaragua <laughs> mm-hmm. seeing all these white missionaries come to my country and I just remember being really um perceptive about it yeah like they weren't there to be our best friends we were like providing them with an experience mm-hmm. and so I remember even like they were so uncomfortable with their wealth in contrast with our need that mm-hmm. you could literally say oh my god I love your water bottle and they'd be like oh my god it's yours here have it and it was like the kids just took advantage we were like mm-hmm okay, I love your shirt. I love yeah. <laughs> because people in these situations are going to redistribute your wealth. If you're so, you know, so guilty about it mm-hmm. <laughs> that you will, instead of actually help us, you will just take the shirt off your back, which is like what, yeah. we, what we leaned into. But I, that's the piece. Um, I opened with a piece that I wrote years ago. And that's the piece where my agent reached out to me and on Twitter, Mm -hmm. because that piece went viral in Christian spaces. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was like, Oh, my God, I love it. So I was like, I need to include a chapter with it, because it is different than the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. um, I feel but it is a necessary piece to start with. And it's, it's just talking about like, the voyeurism that is involved in volunteerism. Yes, the, the exchange for the idea that because it's mostly white Christians, like missionaries mm-hmm. are Christians and they're white. And yeah. they're also like the backbone of like um Trump's America. <laughs> yeah. And we don't we don't make that correlation a lot, but we should because these are people who are directly void voting against like immigration policies. Mm-hmm. But or creating immigration policies that are part are part of like why people are dying in our countries. Mm-hmm. So how dare you come to our countries and say like, oh, I, I, I love doing volunteering trips. Who does this a lot? Uh, Brandy Cyrus loves a good <laughs> volunteering trip. Every once a year, I need to go volunteer in Africa because, you know, God forbid, you know, like the actual country's names. <laughs> I hate it because then they come back home and they're anti-maxers <laughs> like, or anti-vaxxers or whatever. And where we know COVID is disproportionately affecting black and brown communities. So it's like, you're yeah, it's actions, like, do you care? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your actions aren't matching with what you're saying. So what you're mm-hmm. doing when you're visiting these countries is you're just exploiting people's suffering mm-hmm. because it makes you feel good. So let's talk about it. Yeah. So that's a whole chapter on that. Yeah. No, it's so good. There, there's a line here where you say voluntourism is violent. Voluntourism disguises itself as a good deed to hide that it is an exploitive act of voyeurism. Yeah. And that's where I was like, oh, yes. Yes. Because that voyeurism part of it, I don't think folks recognize that it is almost like what you talked a lot about too was <laughs> that they were so grateful for the experience that your suffering was their experience like that they were taking away so much that they were so grateful to you mm-hmm. for how they grew and how they 
were able to go back home and have this new sense of gratitude about their life. And it just, I understand again, intention versus impact here, but that like to them, this feels so good and it feels like it's a good positive thing, but it is actually so fucking icky. Mm -hmm. So icky. Yeah. Like if you name it, the the words that are coming out of your mouth don't feel disgusting to you, <laughs> then maybe you should investigate the whole experience. Yeah. 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 There's definitely two friends, uh, white blonde women who have done this. Um, and I even sent one of them actually a, a book. I'm totally blanking on what the name of it was, but it was this professor um, from Canada who had done a lot of uh, research on mission trips and how like, they're actually very harmful to the to communities and send it to her before she went and she still went. Um, but again, after 2020, I think she was like, oh, fuck, Oops. there's things to unpack here. And I'm like, yes, there is always. Yeah. And a lot of uh, orgs that do this um, will be like, well, we do it ethically now. <laughs> They've shifted the narrative because there has been so much bad press mm-hmm. and so they'll say like we do things differently we work with the community we work but it like it really if at in your home country you aren't pushing for policy change then who the fuck cares that you work with a community activist in that community yeah. like at the end of the day your concern should be so that people aren't extending their hand in supplication at all mm-hmm. And yeah. if that isn't your goal, then why are you even there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not to mention, too, that oftentimes these folks are coming from communities in the States that are quite well off and are straight up ignoring the other communities right around the block, mm-hmm. right around the block. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that are suffering and and need funding and need resources. Um but again, I think that's a little too close to home and that's not the voyeurism, voluntourism experience that they would feel good about. Yeah, exactly. And so there's a whole chapter to deconstruct. <laughs> yes, yes. Go go have some reflections. Yeah. yeah. And um, the ways that it does, it like it directly impacts people's lives. Like it really, really mm-hmm. does. And when I started to make those connections, I was like, oh, fuck Mm (laughs) y'all like my family is suffering because of your inaction but Mm -hmm. you're still posting pictures of your mission trip Mm -hmm. fuck all of y'all and then there is like this anger that I lean into in that chapter Mm -hmm. which which is great I think we don't lean into anger enough (laughs) or we're not told to because we don't want to upset the white people or Mm -hmm. we don't want to, you know, burn bridges with the right. You have to be in the room to make a change. No, fuck it. Fuck the room. Burn it Mm -hmm. down. (laughs) Yeah. I love you. That's (laughs) That's my methodology of the book. (laughs) I love it. I love it. That goes to the respectability uh, politics chapter um, that I equally loved here. Um, And also a little bit of the imposter syndrome that came up as well. Um, There was, honestly, I was like highlighting things like all throughout. So I'm like, (laughs) there were so many good parts. Um, But in the respectability politics, I want to read this uh, little paragraph that you wrote here because... 
I felt so seen here. <laughs> felt so fucking seen. Uh, he said, I have to be soft and kind and approachable because for black and brown people to succeed, to play the game, to make it, we need to make white people feel comfortable around us. White people tend to feel most comfortable around people who look like them, who dress like them, who sound like them, people they recognize. I have to be gentle and smart and all my actions have to overtly signal my respectability. I have to perform a version of myself perfectly to prove my humanity. As a woman, as a smart woman, my duty is to signal to people that I am smart and somehow, accidentally, I happen to be a woman. I have to be just the right amount of angry to be respected and taken seriously. Yeah. (laughs) I wrote that after. So that's another piece because I've been, I've been like writing this book for years, like without intending to Mm -hmm. but I wrote that after I graduated from my master's program at Vanderbilt yeah because I became towards my last two years I was like a I would walk into a room and my cohort like it's a large cohort um it was like 80 people per year so that's Mm -hmm. a that's a huge cohort and I remember we would all gather for a lot of social hour stuff and I would walk into rooms which were mostly with white people and mm-hmm. the whispering that would immediately commence yeah. or like men mocking white men mocking the way I dressed mm-hmm. because like okay she might be saying something valuable but we can make fun of how she looks like different yes. you could just see it and I had to like tunnel vision to survive those last two years in my program mm-hmm. and it like destroyed a lot of my self-confidence my ability to believe that I was worthy even though my my mouth could say it yeah you can't help but all that stuff that you saw and you experienced and the white gaze like just mm-hmm. chips at you and I just like I wrote it in tears and that's mostly how I write a lot of things <laughs> it's just like uh I didn't I come from like well we don't talk about that <laughs> people that's my yeah. people <laughs> focus on the good things why are you focusing on the bad things those are my phrases that I've heard all my life so for me yeah. to even go to those places like I remember just like which I don't do anymore and I don't celebrate but I would take like a shot of tequila and just sob and like type and it was like a fury of a minute and mm. I would just close the laptop and be done and then something else would happen I would be like let's go (laughs) and it was just it was just this constant like how do I talk about these things well how do you because it's to name the violence of the white gaze Mm -hmm. is is hard we don't want to even say I think how much it hurts us because you want to be strong you want to be like fuck them they don't know what they're talking about I don't have imposter syndrome I earned my way here it's like easy you want to say that but it still fucks with your psyche and it still does something to you and Mm -hmm. I wanted to lean into that like you did hurt me that did Mm -hmm. change me that was hard I wanted to die okay yeah yeah well and You know, you talked about being the first in your family to do a lot of things and those things being really great things. And then also realizing that you kind of went above and beyond what would have been expected for you and that you also had a lot of other firsts in your family, like being the first person to go to therapy. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it sounds like you really did have to kind of confront a lot of these things that 
you know, I think oftentimes just build up. We absorb them in these small, tiny little bits repeatedly throughout our lives. And then we kind of reach a point where like we're starting to explode or we're starting to feel like we don't want to be here anymore because it just feels like it's too much. Um, And that you then confronted all of that. Can you talk a little bit about kind of how that came up for you? Um, I started therapy because I got divorced in the middle of my program. And I had a different agenda for therapy because I didn't know what it would look like. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know very many people in my program. Everybody talked about therapy, but nobody was like walking me through what that looks like as somebody mm-hmm. who hadn't been normalized within yeah. a therapy world. Mm-hmm. So I had like an agenda when I walked in around like even I, I always do this. I think it's like it's one of my flaws, character flaws, but I had like things I wanted to address. Like I was like, why, why do I always just sweat profusely when I'm around authority figures? Like, let's fix it. It wasn't like, let's talk about it. What is it? Like, it's, it's a reaction to something like yeah. that. It was like, let's fix stuff. Cause I like want to be able to function and you're right. Like that's what therapy is. You just fix me. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you would like had to talk things through and I did a lot I did I went to a sex therapist Mm -hmm. because I had a really tough time with intimacy and um so my ex-husband at the time he came out as asexual Mm. and that fucked with my Mm -hmm. ideas of self-worth because even though I understood that um sexual desirability does not equal love yeah (laughs) or someone expressing that does not mean that they love you I was still socialized for years mm-hmm. that that was it. And that was the most important thing. And that if yeah. a man loses interest in you, it is your fault as a mm-hmm. woman. And there was a lot of that messaging that's just everywhere. Yeah. So when this happened, I needed to figure out, <laughs> okay, how do I separate the two? And then I jumped into just being slutty. Cause I was like, I'll just force myself to separate the two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was, it was fun, but that was not yeah. the path. <laughs> Yeah, but you're like, I'm going to prove that my worth is here. Look at these people that want to fuck me and I'm going to yeah. fuck them. Yeah, mm-hmm. or even at one point being like, oh, we just had sex. I don't even care what your name is. But I'd go home and be like, mm-hmm. is he going to text me back? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like we'd be playing ourselves before, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I was just like trying. Mm-hmm. I did group therapy for um, divorced mm-hmm. women. I did uh, sex therapy. I did talk therapy. I, I just was like, I need to talk this out. Yeah. And uh, it was, it was really transformative, but also living in a, in a white city like Nashville, Tennessee is. Yes. Finding therapists of color is rare. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and so I've had to uh, swallow that, like mm-hmm. managing, having to explain to a white person why this particular, I had a, my sex therapist once say like, are you just making all these things up in your head about racism? Oh, oh, oh. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah no ma'am at the time there were two sex therapists in all of the city and there was one young guy and one older man and the older man was the one who told me this so I was like so I was doing that I was trying to work on myself and uh what resulted is just like a deep longing to talk about everything Mm -hmm. which is how a lot of my writings happened 
Yeah. Well, I think that is like, you know, unfortunately, so many of these things that we experience are so shamed and so taboo and we absorb them. And then there is very little space for that to exist without there being uh, a, a real presence of uh, danger, of consequences, right? Of punishment. Um, there's so few spaces where you can exist fully and actually have the space to name and process and acknowledge those things in your truth. Um, and I think that is why it is so important to talk about these things. Um you know, you had a chapter around colorism um, that I super appreciated. And I think even colorism, you know, uh, I did a series being biracial um, in 2020, where we talked a lot about colorism as well. And I think it's always a, a topic that you can't, as someone who's light-skinned, I feel like you can't talk about it with having to also acknowledge your contribution to it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that can be a really scary thing to even acknowledge because that could be used against you, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're, yeah. That's that's a, a trauma response, right? That's a something generationally that's absorbed. And you talked a lot about how that showed up within your own family. Um, can you talk a little bit about kind of you know, obviously go read, go buy the book, read the chapter. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, but you also talked about kind of like Afro-Latina erasure a little bit. Um, yeah. would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Uh, so I, for a really long, I've never, I've never passed as white. <laughs> I've yeah. never believed, I think I've never believed the lie that I thought I was white. Cause I think that's an actual experience. That's not I, I believed it. that. Yeah. I think that's like, <laughs> that, that does happen, but I never, I think Latinx communities have such a disdain for indigeneity that because mm -hmm. I looked the way that I looked, I was, I was constantly bombarded with negative comments. So I remember even as young as middle school being like, I'm not pretty, but I'm funny. Mm. Like being really, really aware of like, I wasn't considered pretty. And I was in Latinx spaces mostly. Non-Black mm. Latinx spaces was where I was raised. I had never been a quote unquote minority until I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. And, and what I a place to, get... to move to. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I moved to South Carolina for middle school and that was a hell, but yeah. So you get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was, yeah, I still was with my mom who was white though. So that's why I did believe the lie that I was yeah. white because I yeah. was just around all my white family, but yeah. Yeah, even one of the earliest stories that my mom has that she's so proud of what she did was a man's, I was just born and I was at the church and a man from our church in Nicaragua said, oh my gosh, she's such an ugly baby. And my mom said, she's not ugly, you're ugly. And she tells that story with so Aww. much pride. <laughs> but I'm just, as as someone who like, my, my mom's always been lighter than me. So mm -hmm. I always was like, yeah, really aware of, of what was happening in a way that she was never aware of it. it feels mm -hmm. like she, for her, it was just like, I'll defend my kids till the death. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that just wasn't that that wasn't on her radar. But for me, writing about colorism was writing it as somebody who finally figured out why the things that happened to me happened to me. 
and being aware of the ways that, it, like, I, like I said earlier, I participated in my own oppression mm-hmm. by internalizing a lot of that and then went on to participate in the oppression of other people mm-hmm. because proximity to whiteness was key yeah. and was uh, social capital in a lot of significant ways for me. Oh, yeah. Uh, so even though I could never pass, I tried. I sure as hell tried. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think so many of us. colored contacts. Yeah. <laughs> Girl, I wanted that shit so badly. I cannot even tell you. Trying to like put that shit in my eye was so fucking difficult, but I tried so hard. I wanted it so badly. Uh, I feel that. I got the blonde highlights instead. But I wanted that. I could never get that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was not a good decision, but I thought it was at the time. Um, but the I orange think- lights. Yes, literally. <laughs> so bad but I think I think that that experience is like so relatable like I think it's you're trying to fit in in this weird way and it's like you can't fit in unless you are um shoving down and invalidating who you are yeah in this way, if, if this is into you know white spaces um and yeah, <laughs> there was a section where you like just the way you wrote it was so beautiful. We were like, "Me, mama tells me to stay out of the sun." Yeah. Me, mama tells me to put on my sunblock. Yeah. And it was like just the way that you wrote the whole section. I was just like, ah. <laughs> I it is it is like I think I'll I'll always get teary eyed when I. Mm-hmm read that piece because it feels like violent to say something like that about your mom Mm -hmm. but it's like is the is the everyday colorism stuff that's like the most insidious and that is the everyday colorism stuff that I know a lot of Mm -hmm. us experience like our moms don't mean to (laughs) but they're still quote-unquote protecting us Mm -hmm. from our darkest shades <laughs> that yeah. we may turn into. And yeah, that, that was, that's a hard piece. I've, I've read it in front of my mom before and I've read it in front of like people from our church mm. and something about it makes people listen. Mm-hmm. So I keep it, <laughs> Yeah, I- but it isn't, it is one of the harder pieces to acknowledge because it's, it's, it's trying to heal from wounds. You'll never receive apologies for. Mm-hmm. And then leaning into it for a whole book <laughs> for everyone else to acknowledge that we all have these wounds mm-hmm. somehow. Yeah. 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 And I mean, <sighs> healing from wounds you'll never receive apologies for is like, God, that's the work of fucking life. That shit hits mm-hmm. so deep. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I think, you know, whether you are explicitly receiving that message kind of like from your mom, how you did or not, it is still everywhere. I mean, you know, my mom was never, at least in, in my memory, telling me to not be in the sun. Um, but there were always comments, even literally fucking yesterday, I was on FaceTime with her and she's like commenting like, oh, like you look like you've gone a lot darker. And I'm like, What's the point? Yeah. Obviously, it's fucking summer. The sun is out now. We have like four, five, six months of no sun in Seattle. And yes, the sun is out now. So I am darker now. What? Yeah. What about it? 
what was the point? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, was I not supposed to? Should I have, should I not be? They'll never say that, right? They'll never admit to that because it it means admitting like a flaw in their parenting, which God Mm -hmm. forbid. (laughs) That's a whole, yeah, that's a whole other thing, but... But yeah, I think that the, um, you know, you talk a little bit about some of that erasure piece as well um, with uh, the Afro-Latina component. Um, I think there's actually so much that I've been learning more recently about Afro-Latina and just like the colorism that shows up in that space. Um, And it's, I mean... Just the the social construct that race, all of the shit that the social construct of race has created for us and our systems and from the ground up is just mind-blowing sometimes where I'm like, this is just fascinating how all of this is all interconnected in some ways and fucks us all. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's this new pushback that I've heard like, unless you're dark skin, black, you shouldn't talk about colorism. You shouldn't center yourself in the colorism conversation that I think is a valid critique and that it should be happening on, on other communities and people who are darker than me. But I think it's also important that we acknowledge that it doesn't just happen in black communities because anti-blackness is so insidious. Like colorism Mm -hmm. is anti-blackness. Yeah. And it happens in, south asian communities Mm -hmm. it happens in non-black communities of color all the time it happens in asian communities (laughs) like in the philippines like it just it's happening and we have to name it Mm -hmm. and we have to name it to also address our own internalized Mm anti-blackness if we don't name it then we're not we're not fixing anything and Mm -hmm. i don't think people realize that colorism isn't just your skin tone it's like your facial features it's Mm -hmm. your hair texture it's it's so much more than just that because you might be the darkest black person and have a thin small nose and your hair texture might be straight and you're not going to have the experience of somebody who has Mm -hmm. a wider nose and like 4c hair so for me I think it's important that we're like we're we all are experiencing it and like it's like critical mass it's important that we all become aware of it so yeah. that we can all undo it because we can't place the burden on the darkest of us mm-hmm. to do that work and have those conversations. Yeah, I agree. And I think that there are so many ways, you know, when I reflect back even on myself where I used the privileges that I have within colorism as a weapon and I used it to further perpetuate colorism where I would receive, you know, these little, oh, you're so exotic. And I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) And I wouldn't even want to say that I was black because once I say I'm black, I'm no longer exotic and all of that goes away. And now I'm just like icky to them Um, of, you know, I think being lighter skinned within this conversation is really important when you are not only naming it, but having the conversation in a way where you are essentially practicing being an ally to those who do actually suffer the consequences of it, you know, um, kind of similar even when, 
you know, we're talking about like anti-fatness, you know, like I think it is important for, you know, thin folks to not be sitting in their thinness, like, yeah, like here's my body. Like, you know, like I, I just think like (laughs) that you have to be down for it. And I think certainly those people maybe shouldn't be censored, you know, but, um, even, oh, I don't know if you follow him. Uh, do you follow the Jolly Ginger on Instagram? Mm-mm. He's like, you look at him and you think he'd be spouting some racist shit. He's like older white guy with like beard. Um, but he is so down for the fucking count. Like he is so anti-racist on the daily. And he posted that he's going to be getting likely a, a like a network deal uh, to further share like his the education and all of that. And something came up in me kind of similar to what we're talking about where I was like, mm, does he need to be... Yeah. yeah, I was like, mm, does this need to go to a white guy right now? Like, mm, there's definitely women of color that could be fucking talking about this shit. But then I was also like, well, you know what? Somebody needs to open the door, I guess. I, I'm still in the... I I might... How much I despise the white gays. I would even be like, if it's a light-skinned person of color, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, do it. Yeah, no, and this is just a straight-up white white guy, white guy. Um, But then I'm trying to sit with myself of like, you know, okay, he's saying the right things. It's a white fragility argument. A lot of people are like, Mm -hmm. we shouldn't center... Um, D'Angelo on stuff like this. And I'm like, but I think it's white people who need to talk to white people. (laughs) No, exactly. Yes. Like, I don't think it should fall on me. I don't think Mm -hmm. it should fall on you. I don't think it should fall on any of us. I think it should, all that labor needs to go to white people. So I do have that lens. I'm like, white people need to do that work, but also like these network deals disproportionately fall to white white people. (laughs) So that's also a rub. Of course. Yeah. Good do it. But are you get, are you actively going to create spaces for people like yeah. us? <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of wondering. I because I think he probably knowing the kind of content he makes, I would think that he also would have had this thought. So I am anticipating that he will share the space yeah. Yeah. and help amplify other people's voices. Is my hope and yeah. assumption here? So we'll see how that goes. But. You know, there was a section where uh, that stood out to me around colorism that you wrote about. Actually, maybe it was an imposter syndrome. I don't remember. Um, But where you're in Nashville and this guy is like, is that really your skin color? Is that your real skin? Is that your real skin color? (laughs) With his finger, rubbed it. Touched you. Yeah. 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 Where why should that burden have to fall on you in the midst of kind of experiencing that um, microaggression, that fetishizing, that uh, white gaze, that uncomfortable, like, icky curiosity, entitlement, all the things. Why should you also be the one to sit there and educate and, you know, try to explain when this man's clearly so far, he's got a ways to go if he's touching you? Yeah. And asking, is this really your skin color? Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me, sir. (laughs) Excuse me, sir. I think at the beginning I was like, I went in, I went to ham 
that's why I don't engage with the white gays anymore. That's why I didn't write yeah. a book for white people. <laughs> but I used to, I used to be on that place of like, okay, fuck respectability politics. I'm going to educate you though. I'm going to break this bottle right here on this doorpost. I'm going to come for you educating you though. <laughs> and that didn't work long term. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I was also with a white friend at the time that that happened and she didn't mm. say anything. So yeah. Yeah, I agree. Been in a lot of those situations too, and I, I never really ever took it as an opportunity to educate. I just shrunk and was like, "Yeah, it is." (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Like okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Then I get on Instagram and I'm like, "Fucking white people." No, I think I had like the, my ancestors anger stored in me. I had mm-hmm. years where I was just like, yeah, drink and do nothing. And then I mm-hmm. went full tilt on the other direction. I was like, I'm gonna get arrested. I need to stop. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a middle ground somewhere. I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> haven't found it, I think. So here we are. Yes. Well, there's so many, like, first of all, I feel like you're going to have to come on the podcast again because there's so many freaking things like to talk about because you've got, you know, you went through, you've been through so much shit, so much shit. Um, I, I, yeah, I guess I have. <laughs> yeah. Everything in the book, your previous marriage, um, you know, uh, body image stuff. I, I believe we've kind of messaged about and talked about, um, just so many things. Yeah. A life well lived, I guess. (laughs) How are you, how are you holding space for like nourishing yourself? I I'm starting EMDR. I'm really excited for that because I've gotten to this place where I'm, I know my triggers. I know how I'm going to react to stuff. I know when to walk away, but I, I, I still have these very, like I have eczema mm-hmm. uh, that just, it's stress related. It's yeah. not genetic. And so like my body is reacting to all the stress of me compartmentalizing my life mm-hmm. <laughs> and trying to like, and I'm also a person who I'm too gracious for people sometimes. Like mm. if someone is awful to me, I have this, not white people, white people can suck a dick, but like if somebody in our community harms me, I'm always like, how did they grow mm-hmm. up? Is it a class thing? Mm-hmm. Is it the relationship with their mother? Is it like, I'm always creating space for people that I like completely forgot me. And so I have mm-hmm. this autoimmune response now that my body's just like, oh, yeah, you're, you're compartmentalizing. Here's a new spot. <laughs> yep. yep. I developed psoriasis Dang. this year. Rosacea. So. <laughs> Yep. I'm like, awesome. Here we go. I love, I love when my body is displaying the proof and the experience of the trauma and the stress that that trauma has caused on me. Um, and then I'm like, you know what? Fuck all this shit. I got (laughs) to nourish myself. I just got to fucking live it and be pleasurable and have joy because my body is fucking freaking out now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, uh, uh, I can't do that to her. Therapy is great for this. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm hoping that I can address those those reactions because I, I'm clearly not able to compartmentalize anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm at that stage in healing. I'm creating. I have really intense boundaries with my dad and my brother, but I don't really have 
very many boundaries with my mom and I'm starting mm. to create those boundaries, mm-hmm. um, which is, which, like I said, it feels like a violation of self when you do that yeah. to somebody who was your lifeline for so many years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I feel like it's easier to do that even with my dad. Cause my dad, I grew up in such a sexist household that mm-hmm. men just had to financially support a household. And that was parenting. Like, yeah. wow, a star parent. So <laughs> It was easy to be like, oh, you ain't shit because you really didn't do shit for me except mm-hmm. make sure that I eat. But like, I don't see need to owe you anything for that. Like, that's yeah. what you do with children who are helpless and you decided to create them. But mm-hmm. my mom was like my life. Like, I feel yeah. like she became my best friend when I became slutty. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, she really showed up for me in really significant ways. And yeah. I'm... I reevaluating those boundaries in the ways that she doesn't always honor what I need or have mm-hmm. space for my tenderness is is a new is a new journey I'm on and so mm. we'll see what that looks like yeah the mother-daughter relationships they so complex mm. yeah. so much there um yeah the slut phase I wish we had time to talk about that so much to talk about the slut phase. <laughs> yeah. I like on insecure. She called it a hotation. Yes. And ever since she said that, I was like, yeah, I remember even, you know, years ago when she said it, I was like, Oh yep. Let's get my hotation going. <laughs> I had a hotation. It was great. I was like a name for an experience. <laughs> yes. Literally. Yeah. It was the real thing. Get that hotation going. I don't know how to have a hotation with COVID, but you know, oh my God. I don't know how people are managing that, but, um, you know, I guess just testing, I suppose. I don't know. I suppose. I feel like people just get COVID for it. The way I've understood it is people have just chosen to prioritize some things over others. And I'm like, okay. Not for me. Yeah. Not for me. <laughs> hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do want to touch a little bit on kind of separate from the book, but your page, um, Latina Rebels, a little bit, just because I feel like you do. Oh, hello, Lily. Um, <laughs> she has now popped up and is probably going to try to drink my. Oh, do you see this? Oh, oh, she just gave me a shoulder bud. Do oh. it again. Oh, I love you, baby girl. Hi. And it's not even because she's hungry because she was just eating her wet food. So it's not even because she loves food. <laughs> Pure love. <laughs> I wish I get used and abused by my dogs. So <laughs> that was a really tender, like Twice. beautiful moment. If you thought it was a mistake the first time, it was not a mistake by the second time. I was like, she heard me. She heard me talking about it. She's so smart. And she knows she's not supposed to be up on the table. But if she's like sweet like that, then I'm kind of like, okay. smart too smart she's very very smart um but but I wanted to talk about the Latina Rebels page because I feel like that's kind of I knew you there before we messaged um and I think there's so many amazing things that you're putting on the page um so I'd love you to share just a little bit about kind of what your experience has been running it so I started it in 2013, Cinco de Mayo, and um, I was just getting so much language for experiences. Mm-hmm. 
And I was in, I think that there's a thing that we could do if you're in academia, you can either be like, wow, academia is awesome. Like they have all the language. All my friends are going to be here now. <laughs> or <laughs> you could like, I got angry because I was like, mm-hmm. all this time there were these terms like, like colorism was created by Alice Walker, like years ago before I was even born or right when I was born like these terms have existed for years and how and why did I not have access to them and it was infuriating and so I started at large to like democratize all that like Mm -hmm. how do I make this accessible in a meme or a gif or just make this digestible to people scrolling Mm -hmm. might not have time to read like seven books on colorism to get the depth and breadth of it yeah (laughs) but also deserve to have this information and if they want to find out more about it then they can but Mm -hmm. they deserve at least an elementary knowledge of this stuff because this stuff has the ability to change your life where you are you become a passenger to a driver in your own life Mm -hmm. so that was always the vision of LR for me but I also knew that (laughs) I'm so annoying, but I, I'm a person that's aware that like, we all come with our context and our shit. Mm-hmm. So I never wanted me to be the deliverer of news because mm-hmm. it was going to be all through my filter. So mm-hmm. immediately I just messaged people I knew were more radical online. And I was yeah. like, Hey, you want and none of them were academics. Um, they were just feminist posts, you know, uh, pro-immigrant open borders posts, stuff like that, that I was like, mm-hmm you want to come on and share that stuff and they did and I've changed the team twice since um but it's just it's it's all (laughs) it's a small page it's smaller than your page like you your page like it's yeah but it's still Mm -hmm. and my leadership style has been I might not agree with you but if you're committing to this thing that you're saying then stand by it, sign it, be willing to defend it in the comments. And Mm. people have learned through their own mistakes. Because again, I have my own filter. I have sometimes I've been really wrong in my analysis of something. And then I've seen it done, posted, and people have commented on it. And I've educated myself on it and been like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, this was great. But it is a different, it's like a decolonial leadership style, because we are told to like, just tell people what to do. And yes. that is a leadership style that you need. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm very into like, let's fuck up together. Let's see mm-hmm. what happens. And I don't mind being the one that takes the fall for big things. And I have in the past taken the fall mm-hmm. for things I haven't even posted. Yeah. Um, but it's all a learning curve and we're all just in it together. And I just mm-hmm. want to help people be free in whatever way that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like you've helped like give words to a lot of things like in your book and even on your page for folks and like really allow space for people to actually feel like they have permission to be, to sit in their truth really in a lot of ways, because a lot of this stuff is weird and and hard to name and to talk about and to even just have exist. Um, But I think that is also kind of in the same way, like our work of of our life in order for us to be free from ourselves. Yeah. 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 And it's like, we're going to make mistakes, (laughs) 
we're not going to say the right thing. I definitely, I remember 2014, there were some like paste on eyebrows things that were coming out. Mm-hmm. And as a hairy girl, yeah, I got made fun of for my eyebrows. So I was just like, same. Are these white people trying to have our eyebrows. And then people were like, you know, cancer patients could really benefit from that. And I was like, this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's like, oh, I'm going to shut the fuck up. Yeah. Maybe things are more complicated than that. <laughs> so I'm always learning. I'm, I love learning, but I also just love making people think and making people uncomfortable and making and pushing yeah. people past what they think is respectable or good or mm-hmm. Christian or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really enjoy pushing people because I'm a person that reacts to being pushed. Well, mm-hmm. I don't need to be coddled to learn. I just need to be told. And then yeah. I'll be like, okay, let me think for myself then. Thank you for trusting me with this information. <laughs> so that is the methodology within LR. Yeah. It's just like, we just slap people in the face sometimes. And it's like, yeah. how does that feel? Did you like it? <laughs> you want it again? <laughs> and I mean, I'm into kink stuff. So maybe that's uh, kind of. That's another episode. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> All the things, all the things. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and, and in that hand too, you're also very deserving and, um, worthy of tenderness as well. Yeah. You know, which is very new to me. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard because I do feel like there's so many of, you know, so much of even what we've talked about today is like stuff that we have to unpack, right. Stuff that we have to like, in a way fight against that we have lived with and that we will probably continue to live with in some capacity. And to just allow for softness, to allow for you to show up in your softness and your tenderness is so vulnerable and terrifying, yet also humanizing and freeing. Yeah. And I think of tenderness is political. I think mm-hmm. for walk for Black Indigenous women of color, I think it is political. I get a lot of messages of people who like recently follow me and they'll be like, oh my God, you're so like, chill online you're just like posting outfit pictures I was like yeah like I'm sorry (laughs) capitalism taught you that you could only consume me through a particular lens but this is all intentional (laughs) Mm -hmm. you're gonna get me and my floral arrangements because that's what made me happy today (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I feel that that's why I'm like yeah yeah this tomato is turning yellow and that's what I'm gonna share yeah I love it with the marigold yesterday that you were yeah. posting. I was like, that, like, that is what I live for. I live for our joy and our complexities and yes. like, fuck educating people, fuck the white mm-hmm. gaze. Like sometimes you just get to be a person and say stupid shit. And like, yeah, we shouldn't be discarded for that. Yeah. I love you. I'm so happy to have found you on the internet. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, I was- so weird and anxious that I'm always like, eh, hope you're good. <laughs> so online, um, I don't read well, I think, which is ironic. But here no, your first message to me and like the way you described it, like, yes, you were in like very in support and like showing me love, but it was you still weren't, you were naming everything that was happening at the same time, um, which did make me feel so seen of like, oh, she gets it. She sees what's happening right now. And I don't feel as alone. And also just like, yeah, wow, this is someone that I can fuck with because you see, you see all of it. <laughs> <AI stuff. laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. You can only be born with it. I feel. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, also because you've unpacked, because you've yeah. been there as well, because like you get it that you that we're fucking complex and that we've all done shit. And especially as a brown woman of color moving through life, that there's all these things that we have to experience that can come out in some real fucked up ways. And that's our work. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's so much about that experience for you, that happened to you that didn't even happen to me that I was like, fuck everyone online. I feel like I shifted the way I moved online even yeah. more. And I have a lot of built-in protections as is because mm-hmm. what I say <laughs> I don't have a big, as big a platform as you, but what I say really upsets white people. Yeah. I think because I never center them. And so I, I live in a very, like I have a PO box. Yeah. I, I change my number regularly. There's like things that are built into my life. I have a VPN I work on so people can't track me if they have to, because I have been hacked. I have people yeah. sent me stuff. I've had my safety be compromised in significant ways that I've already taken safety measures into my mm-hmm. own hands. And even when that happened to you, I was like, more, <laughs> turn the volume up, fuck these people. <laughs> and this so is scary. Yeah. It's it terrifying. Scary. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why, again, it's like, it's so weird. It's full circle. It's like, yeah, this is why then in the past I would center myself to whiteness and why I would try to cling to that and try to just be that because I thought, well, if I'm closer to that, then I can't be like thrown over here to be like the black girl, you know? Um, And it's so twisted and just gross. Yep. And then they make, that's the whole, I think my title was, Mm -hmm. because I do get read as a bitch. Um, And I think you do get, you get read that way too. Yeah. Which doesn't hold room for our humanity. It's like, you're too arrogant. How dare you be? How dare you believe in yourself? (laughs) How dare you believe that you are smart and worthy? How dare you walk with your neck held mm-hmm. high. Your yeah. head Make held sure high. you're humble. Like yeah. being told my education is yeah. a privilege and I need to be humble in my education. I was like, oh, bloop, oh, pop off. Mm-mm. Yeah. I'm like that too. And I think it's important. That's like why the title is for brown girls with sharp edges, because I have sharp edges, but the yeah. reason we have these sharp edges is because the world has chiseled us into a weapon of self-defense. We need to analyze why we have been made into these sharp edged people because inside at our core we are so tender and that when you yeah and when you get to know that part of us then you really get to know us Mm -hmm. but everybody just sees the sharp edges but they don't know that you what you see is what you deserve Mm -hmm. from us yeah yeah part of me thinks it's also just because I'm a cancer so I have like my hard shell and then I'm just like a mush on the inside but (laughs) Yeah, there's so much softness and tenderness in there. And, you know, that hard shell, aside from being a cancer, is also just because of everything I have experienced. And I fucking love what you just said there. Like, ah, so good. We're here for it. (laughs) So seen. Yeah. Yeah. We do have sharp edges, but a part of me likes my soft, likes my sharp edges. Because they have protected me. Yeah. 
and they have all the tenderness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you won't, you won't see me cry. <laughs> I will not mm-hmm. cry in front of somebody who I am unsafe with. That is intentional. <laughs> it's not that I think crying is weak is that I know you think crying is weak. Yeah. I know it's a lot, but I hope y'all buy the book. I hope y'all do too. It is so good. And yeah, we should do this again and have you on again because there's so many, so many things we could talk about. Yeah. And I love talking to you every time we message and we do our little audio messages, half, half phone calls to each other. But I think we're like both functioning without like even being visible online. You get like yeah. betrayed by people. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think I'm functioning with that. So I keep my space. I think you're functioning with yeah. that. So we're both like, Hey, I'm cool. But back here though. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, hey, you want to be maybe friends? I don't know. Maybe it's <laughs> up to you. I don't need it if you want. I'm, I'm fine. I swear. <laughs> but it'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, that's been day one. <laughs> yes, yes. No, I love it. If this were not COVID, I'd be like, can we hang out? Can we get together in real life? Where are you now? I love Seattle. Um, I've been a few times. Yeah. I work. Yeah. I love it here. Um, if you come again, please come stay in my home. A whole ass home, y'all. A whole <laughs> ass, literally a whole ass home. Um, so yeah, please come. Yes. That'd be yes. amazing. Yes. I'm still going to tread lightly because that's what I do. And that's what we should do. So here we are. Yeah, that's fine. I'm going to keep inviting. The door will always be open. And you totally even had the door open for the podcast. And I was like, sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you're I like, we have to. <laughs> yeah. But this, I think too, part of it, like, because I feel like I've been that way as well, where it feels like, can we ask for things? Is that okay? Can I show up in worthiness and in deservingness of this space and of this like attention? Um, there, you know how many literally on a daily basis, I get spam of all of these white women trying to come on the podcast to promote their thing with their whole PR situation. No qualms, no like, oh, is it okay? Like, oh, are you sure? Like, no, know this to be true. <laughs> so when you're like, when you're like, oh, like, you know, I'm like, bitch, you're coming on the fucking podcast. I know. I even had a professor in my grad program. She's one of my mentors. Uh, she teaches womanist studies, is like a black woman in mm-hmm. theology and ethics. And she was like, Every person who has asked for an extension is always white. I have never had a black indigenous person of color ask me for an extension ever. Mm-hmm. Think about that. <laughs> and then never proceeded to ask for an extension. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we, we participate in our own oppression, hence <laughs> this whole book. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Well, I really hope people go buy the book. It's amazing. Um, can you share kind of where people can purchase the book, where they can find you, where they can follow you, all the uh, things? Okay. Well, the book you can buy anywhere. I think Target, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, your local indie shop should have mm-hmm. it. So just for brown girls with sharp edges and tender hearts, it's a love letter to women of color. 
my social media is at Prisca Lorcas uh, and at Latina Rebels everywhere. So you might yeah. not like me, but you might love me. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. I love <laughs> love what you've created. I love what you've shared. I love how you've been vulnerable and like allowed yourself to show your your full authentic self in some of the really uncomfortable scary ways because you you help normalize that when you do it and you help like now I'm kind of like I mean oh I can write a book yeah I can do it because here you are and this is like yeah that's I see that now (laughs) I really do I'm like everyone can do it because I didn't know I could do it I got the book deal and then cried for like two months because I was like, how the fuck am I going to do it? <laughs> yeah. But then I had to. And here we are. Yeah, so you did it. I support, I support this move. Yeah. Well, I can introduce you to my agents. Oh. Have, I love connecting people to my agents all the time. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll, we'll talk some more. We'll talk some more. Um, but we'll definitely have you back on the podcast again. Uh, this was so great. Thank you so much for your time and your heart and your energy and all the things. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for making it all the way through and keeping your ears, your hearts, and your minds open. It would mean so much to me if you could take a second or two after listening to this episode to leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. I love reading you know, what your favorite episodes are, where you guys listen, um, and definitely feel free to share this with a friend. I mean, part of how we break down the stigmas around these topics is by talking about them, right? And, and sharing them with more people. So definitely share the podcast. Um, and again, really wanting to include all of you in this podcast. So if you have questions or you want to share a thought or an experience, please send in a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And I'm really excited to keep having these conversations and uh, breaking down these stigmas. So thank you all so, so, so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you.